So hopefully you found 2 Thessalonians. Uh, you can go there. Uh, we are in uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, so just uh, kind of scan your eyes down, find that first little 5. That's where we are picking up uh, in this. We're calling the series that we've been in now for a couple of months, uh, Living Hope. Uh, because Paul, in writing to the church in Thessalonica, uh, wrote this letter, and he was trying to encourage this church that was walking through some difficult times. They were a young church, uh, sort of a new church, if you will. Paul and his ministry team, Silas and Timothy, had come, and they had uh, shared, told, preached about Jesus Christ, and many had responded and uh, put their faith and trust in him, and the church there was established. And immediately there was opposition Immediately, the city did not understand who, the, who they were, what they believed. They thought they were uh, there to overthrow uh, the Roman government. They thought they were there to um, kind of disrupt uh, their way of life. And immediately, there was conflict and um, affliction and persecution. They were dragging people out of their homes. They were uh, being threatened and fined and imprisoned. And uh, this continued uh, so much to the place that Paul um, they asked him, they urged him to leave the town for his own safety. And so he continued on and went on to the next um, city, and then they continued to live um, out uh, in this new community, this, this body of believers of Jesus Christ as the church. And so Paul, concerned about him, sent, uh, concerned about them, sent one of his right-hand man, Timothy, um, to the church to check on them, see how they're doing, report back, and he brought back this great report that the church was doing well that they were standing through adversity, that they were um, continuing on in their faithfulness and following of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul wrote back to encourage them. And we have here two letters that he wrote to them. And so this is Paul's letter to the church, living through tumultuous times, living through great difficulty, living through affliction, persecution, suffering, it wasn't fun for them. Like those early days were super, super difficult. And Paul was writing to encourage them. And so what we're, taught, what we're, calling the, uh, what we're gonna call the sermon this morning is hope for the afflicted. Paul, in the passage that we're looking at in these, these verses, he wants to speak directly to the affliction that they are experiencing. Because I think for many, as, as maybe you have uh, seen, is that when we walk through affliction, when we experience suffering, it causes us to question why is this here? Like, why are we going through this? Where did this come from? Is it something I did? Is it something that God's doing to me? Is it some mistake I've made? Is it, you know, they're asking all these questions. Like, are we doing this wrong? Because the church was constantly being uh, attacked and persecuted here in this way. And so he wants to, in this second letter, directly speak to the suffering that they were experiencing, the affliction, the persecution that they were experiencing. And he wanted to give them hope, living hope. So let me read the passage. You can follow along. You'll see it there on the screen in front of you if you're joining us from home or you can find it up here. Um, beginning in verse five, it says this. It says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considered it just to repay, repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God or on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. But when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at 
among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, here is where we want to go with this this morning, is we want to make um, clear and, and just certain and, and kind of be reminded of who it was that Paul was writing to. Again, he was writing to people that were being attacked for their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a certain type, that's a specific type of suffering and affliction that they were experiencing. And I don't know um, if you... Uh, would, would say or point to uh, a particular spot in your life, uh, maybe uh, your workplace, maybe uh, the relationships, maybe situations that you've lived through where you would say, you know what, this was a direct attack because of my faith in Jesus. But Paul is writing to the church with a very specific point. And so I think right off the bat, we need to understand that because our context, the ears that we're listening with this morning might be a little different than the ears that heard it the very first time. Right, Because in large, that's not our general experience. Uh, nobody was uh, fearful for their life coming in here this morning. Um, nobody uh, was worried about somebody marking down their plates and following them home uh, uh, later. Uh, nobody um, is, is concerned about that because we enjoy relative freedom and, and, and uh, grace and, and joy in, in the ability to gather freely. And that's one of the blessings that we experience. This was not the case for them. They were not able to live out freely this belief that they had in Jesus Christ as Lord. And so Paul is writing to them to encourage them. And so why is that important for us to uh, understand and know right off the bat before we even get into it? Well, it's because um, this still has something for us today. We don't want to read it and just kind of take our situation of suffering or affliction and, and sort of import it into this passage, Right? But we have to understand something that in the same way that God cares about this specific type of affliction and suffering, this specific type of difficulty that they're walking through, he is not in uninterested or unapathetic toward the suffering that you might be experiencing today. See, many of us could point to and would um, acknowledge that there is pain, there is suffering, there is hurting that we experience. And that comes from a variety of places. You know, so many times in our life, if we're honest, the suffering and pain that we experience is as a result of the choices that we make. Uh, we do things uh, that bring um, suffering toward us, right? God in his loving kindness has told us things to do, things not to do. And, and we've said it before, every time he says don't, he's really saying don't hurt yourself. But sometimes we continue to do that. We continue to choose those things. And so the suffering and the the, the pain that we're feeling is a result of us. But these, this church, these followers of Jesus, that was not the case. They were looking at their situation. They're saying, well, wait a second. We put our faith in Jesus. Like we've changed everything about our life. Like we are, we are following, committed to Jesus Christ. And yet we are experiencing this suffering. Like what's going on? And I'm sure the question was being asked is, are we doing it wrong? Like as we experience suffering, are we doing it wrong? Is it, is it on me? Is there something else I need to do? And so Paul is writing and he wants to say no. He says, listen, God is working in the suffering. So whether the suffering 
that we bring on ourselves, or suffering that's caused by others. Paul is speaking directly to it, and he wants to give hope for the afflicted. Hope for the afflicted. Here's the big idea that we're going to see this morning in this passage. It's this, is that those redeemed by God have a living hope to sustain through great affliction. Those redeemed by God have a living hope to sustain through great affliction. We're going to unpack all of that as we walk through and see that here in this passage. As we do, let me just pray. Um, Once again, just ask that God would teach us now as we look at his word together. Would you uh, bow your heads with me? God, we're thankful for who you are and the way that you are working. Uh, Lord, you are with us now. Uh, You meet with us here in this place. Uh, God, you um, are with us um, everywhere, God. And you speak through your word. And so we want to... say uh, to you now that we are listening. We want to hear from you. God, we want to receive what it is that you would have for us today. And so, God, I ask that you would teach us and that your uh, spirit would be leading us. And uh, Father, that we would be sensitive to hear and respond to what it is that you have uh, for us this morning. God, we ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, here's the first uh, thing. Um, Just got three... um, Three, uh, three ways that God is working, giving hope for the afflicted. Here's the first, is that God will respond to affliction. God will respond to affliction. Uh, look back at verse five, and uh, let's just review those verses there. It says, this is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. The righteous judgment of God. We're gonna come back to that. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. All right, let's kind of pause there and look at this. It says that you might be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also uh, suffering. You see, what Paul wants to to, uh, make very clear is that God is well aware of their suffering. I think sometimes that is the question that we ask when we are going through difficult times. God, where are you? Why are you not working yet? What are you doing? And Paul was writing to tell them and say, listen, God is working. There is evidence for his righteous judgment that his righteous working is at play, that you would be considered of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. So let's be again clear. They are suffering for the kingdom of God. They're living rightly before him. They are serving him, following him, and as a result, they are being attacked. Verse six, it goes on. It says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. What God is saying here is that he is going to respond to the affliction. And uh, isn't that good news for the person who is being afflicted, right? Like if you've ever been in a place where somebody has wronged you and there has been a a crime or a sin or um, whatever it might be committed against you, do we not want to know that that is not going to go unchecked? Like I'm not talking about, you know, just crazy off the wall, like we're not praying imprecatory prayers of, 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 of something crazy that God's going to do, but don't we want to just know that God sees it and he's going to respond in those things? Or take God out of the equation, isn't that from, I think, a human standpoint, don't we have some level of desire for justice in our lives, right? Like we want to see wrong acts toward us, toward others answered, That's why we have a justice system. 
We have an entire system set to, to weigh and to see what was done and what is the response of that. Uh, we want a justice system when we're growing up. How many of you had siblings and you're like, mom, he did this to me, right? You're, you're invoking like justice at that point. You're like, you gotta do something to him, right? Like that is what we do. That is half of what I feel like my days right now um, with our five kids, three to 12, are like I am judge and jury all the time. And I have to hear counsel. I have to uh, hear like weigh testimony. And I have to sometimes call in other witnesses and hear from others, right? And I'm, I'm trying to decide, okay, like what was the act that was committed? And because of that, what, what, what is the response? Because if I just say, well, you know what, um, you know, it doesn't really matter that your sister pulled your hair or stole your toy or punched you in the face or, you know, those kind of things, like hypothetically speaking. Like, it just, like, it doesn't matter, right? It's okay to just, just forget about it. Go on and just, just ignore that that happened, right? That, that doesn't sit well with us. We want to see justice. And certainly, if you are in the place of being afflicted, right, they're sitting there, they're waiting, they're saying, God, do you not see? Do you not see what we're walking through? Do you not see what they're doing to us? And Paul is writing to say, listen, God will indeed respond to the affliction that you are experiencing. It says he considers it just to repay the affliction with affliction those who afflict you. He's gonna respond. It's not gonna go unnoticed. It's not gonna go unchecked. Certainly the affliction will be paid for. But he goes on to say, not just that, but verse seven, and to grant relief to those of you who are afflicted as well as to us. What is Paul talking about there? He's saying, listen, not only is the, those that are afflicted in you going to be afflicted, justice is gonna be enacted, but in your suffering, relief is coming. Like it will not endure, it will not last forever as will for us. Paul's saying, listen, we're suffering too. We're right along with you in this. We too are experiencing persecution. Everywhere we have gone, there's been opposition to the message of Jesus Christ. And so we are also, right alongside you, we are waiting for the relief that is yet to come. It is going to come. He's saying, listen, God's going to respond. So both to the afflictor and to the afflicted, relief is coming to the afflicted, affliction is coming to the afflictor. He's like, he's going to respond. And here's the thing, again, we might hear this, think about this, and have a place, and it's like, okay, well, that's good to know for them. What about for us? Listen, we might personally not be experiencing this, but this persecution, this suffering, is very much still alive and well in our world today. Are you aware of the persecuted church and what's happening across our globe? Do you know that one in eight Christians, which amounts to over 340 million are living in places where there, is high, there are high levels of persecution and discrimination. One in eight. Just this past year alone, nearly 4,761 uh, 4, Christians were killed. They were murdered for their faith. 4,488 uh, 4, believers were detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. And more than 4,000 churches and other Christian buildings have been attacked. It is still very much occurring today. So there are people on our planet, when they pick up their Bible, if they have one, if they're allowed to have one, if they have the book of First or Second Thessalonians, if they are so lucky and they have that Bible, if 
that is a blessing that they have been afforded and they read this passage, they are very much here and they're like, wow, God sees this affliction. He is working in this suffering. Relief is coming to me. I think it's a reason to just stop and pause because so many times, again, I think we read it through our own eyes and we don't think about our, the larger church, the, the larger family of believers that we are a part of. It's not just here in our experience and what's going on here in, in our city, in our state, but around the world. There are Christians that are suffering in very, very real ways. In India is one of the 10th uh, most um, difficult places uh, for Christians to live. And uh, just even through, um, you may probably, again, don't even think about this, but through COVID, uh, in response to the coronavirus, um, relief has been handed out and given um, to uh, over 100,000 believers there through specific organizations. And of those 100,000, 80,000 are report, reporting specific discrimination through this last year uh, because of, or through the like, COVID crisis. That there's been work that has been withheld from them or relief that has been, some of them are debating, wrestling with, do I need to hide my identity as a Christian in order to receive food, in order to receive medical care, in order to receive these things? Because it is being doled out based on your religious alignment. And so we have Christians today experiencing this in a real way. And so I think this is just a really good place for us to stop and pause and just think that this isn't just for us, but this is for our brothers and our sisters in Jesus Christ. And this is good news for them, that he is not apathetic toward it. God is not uncaring toward the problems of his children. He is a good father and he cares when his children are being attacked, when they are being afflicted. And he promises them, he says, listen, relief is coming. Relief is coming. So I want to be real careful at this point that we don't just, again, talk only about those Christians out there and not acknowledge maybe perhaps some of the attack you have felt here. I've heard stories, I know stories that many of you have experienced in your life that would fall in this very category, that there are people who have afflicted you because of that. And I just want to tell you that God sees that. He's working in that. Relief is coming in that. So the encouragement is, is do not give up. Do not lose heart. Do not step back. God will respond to the affliction. I think in that, one of the other sort of side points, it doesn't, I think for us, as we're looking to examine that, is that we need to pray more for our brothers and sisters that are suffering. I would just encourage you to have that as a regular part of your rhythm of prayer, so whether that's every week, whether that's every month, that you would just have a time that you're praying for the church around the globe that is experiencing this. There are plenty of resources out there. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs is a great one. There's another one called Open Doors. They have resources, prayer calendars, things available to just make you aware so that you see and know and have before you this because we don't always see this and, for, and remember this. We forget that this is still very much going on. And so Paul, writing to this church that was scared, afflicted, he says, listen, God will respond to the affliction. He goes on and kind of unpacks what that's going to look like. He says this, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Here's the second thing. 
The way that God is going to give living hope and help sustain through the affliction is God will act in righteous judgment. He will act in righteous judgment. Are we comfortable with that statement? Are we okay with God acting in righteous judgment? See, I'm not convinced that we are. I think sometimes we come to passages like this and we're like, eh. I don't know. I don't know about that. There's sort of a check. Well, what does that mean? Is God doing it rightly? Does he see things? Is he, is he weighing it the way that I weigh it? How do we do this? How do we come across this? I think the first thing that we need to understand, even in making the statement, God will act in righteous judgment. Let's be clear about who we are talking about and who scripture says is going to act in righteous judgment. We believe this church, the Bible speaks about God, not just a God, the God, the God that is over all things. It says that he created the heavens and the earth. He made all of this. He made all of us. And it says that he placed his image upon creation. Specifically, he placed his image upon men and women. We are the image bearers of the God who made us. So this is what scripture teaches. This is who we are. And so therefore, every man, every woman, every child that lives on this planet is carrying with them the very image of God. They are marked by a divine creator who is not like us, who is not inside our systems, who does not bow to us or conform to us or answer to us in any way. And so I think, you know, in, in, in studying this this week and in, in, in reading some of this and, and even wrestling through it, I know some of the conversations because I've had them with you that you, you're, you're at times uncomfortable with the things that God does. And I think in doing that, what we do is we want to place ourselves in the very seat of God and that he now has to answer to us. But see, that's just not the case. Play it out for a second. Believe it or not, you might be in a place of skepticism. You're like, I don't know if I believe that. Well, can you just carry with me for a minute that that is true, that God is who he says he is and that we are his created beings. It explains a whole lot. Like there are so many things around us that all of a sudden now make sense. Like why do we have some shared values of justice, of the, the value of life, of the care for one another? Why do we see such, cre such amazing creativity around us and that there seems to be a plan and a purpose for the way that this whole world seems and yet what we would be told is that it all came from nothing. It came from chaos and this, this beautiful order and divine creativity just the result of a miraculous mistake that happened some billions of years ago. I don't think, I mean, that, if you're talking about having faith, that takes just as much, if not more faith, than to believe that there is something bigger, something higher that is working in all of this. And so I think that is where we need to start when we come to something like this, because then when we arrive at this, we understand that we are the created. He is the creator. And so he does not answer to us. We answer to him. We are subject to him and to his will and to his divine desire 
to his decrees, to who he is. And this is, what Chris, this is what the Bible says. This is what scripture has revealed. This is God revealing to us himself is that he is greater than anything else, anyone else, and he is to be worshiped above all things. That is why we gather every single week in this way. We don't just do this to check a box and to come into this room and sing some songs and, and see some people that we uh, like and, and uh, someday we'll drink coffee again, all of that, right? We come into this place to worship the creator God who made us, to give him glory, his name, the glory that is due him. This is why we gather. And so this is what church is all about. This is what we are, we are under him in that. And so if he is that, well, then he gets to, it's right for him to act in righteous judgment. And here's what God's word says, is that he is holy, he is righteous, he is perfect, There's not a single flaw in him. He's not like us. As he mentioned in her video, she was learning about the Trinity. He's not even like a person like us. He's he's three in one. He talks about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You're like, what? Like, he is not like us. He is God. We've been made in his image, but we do not understand just how great and how mighty he is. But here's what it says. It says that the Lord Jesus, when he's revealed... From heaven and his mighty angels in flaming fire, that day is coming. Jesus is coming again, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to act in righteous judgment. Justice will be given. Those who are at odds with him will receive judgment for that. And listen, Scripture never celebrates that. This was not written as a point of rallying point of of, of joy or of um, happiness for the church there. Rather, this was to remind them that God will work. Their hearts were broken over this, that they will receive this. That this is what is coming. What does he mean when he says inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus? Well, he says in verse 9, they will suffer. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Listen, for far too long, Christians get to this verse and they, they focus in on the punishment of eternal destruction and they miss the fact that Paul unpacks exactly what that is. Like we don't know fully what that looks like, but we do know this. It will be for away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That is where the like, real punch is. That is where like, Paul is trying to direct. He's like, listen, God in his presence is, is working now. Like His hand is upon this place now, but someday for those who are far from him, for those who are apart from him, he's going to remove it. And they're going to spend eternity separate, separated from his presence and from the glory of his might. That is not good. That's not good. And so, again, Scripture never celebrates this fact, but it says it so that we would know and that we would be broken and that we would be burdened. But here's the truth. Here's the truth, is that this is the place that all of us are destined for. All of us. All of us. Because it says in Scripture that all have sinned, all have fallen short of His glory, and all are facing that eternal judgment It says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is free life through eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, Jesus made a way out. 
That is the good news of the gospel. You see, not knowing the Lord, as it says there, that they don't know the Lord, it's that they choose, not that they've never heard, but they choose not to. They choose not to follow. They choose not to obey. God's going to act in righteous judgment. And again, I ask you this, do we still want justice for the oppressors? When someone wrongs someone, do we want to see that action right? What about the righteous God of the universe? Does he get to do that? If his, if his righteousness is, is, is betrayed, is sinned against, does he get to enact righteous judgment? He sure does. Like, that is his job. He's the one who did it. But let me be super clear about what the scriptures teach. Is that there is a way of escape. There is a way of hope. Because God, in his justice, must enact righteous judgment upon sin. But you know what he did? He's not just just. He's not just righteous, but he is also loving. In his divine love, what he did is he stepped down into the world. It says that he came as a boy. He sent his son, Jesus, who lived a life perfectly, without sin, without the need for this destruction, without the need for justice, without the need for judgment. He lived his life sinlessly. And then at the end of it, he was put on a cross and he was killed. He was murdered for what? For nothing he had done. He was being accused falsely and he was killed there. And what it says is that God counted his death on behalf and on the account of those who have sinned against him. And then when he rose from the, de- from the grave three days later, it says that that was a sign, that showed us that his, his payment, that penalty of sin was counted um, as worthy, as accepted, as received. So that's why we have right here, prominently in the front of our, our church, as we worship, this reminder that Jesus went to the cross to bear the righteous judgment of God on our behalf. And this is a free gift that is offered to anyone who would receive it. Anyone who would receive it. And so hear me, think what you might want about God, but he made a way, he took on the penalty himself. Do you know another God, another religion, another place that, has, that does that? No, there is no one like our God. This is the God. He took it all and he bore it all on himself so that some might be saved. And here's the good news of the gospel. It's this, is that you have but to receive, believe, that Jesus is who he says he is, that his righteous work, his righteous death was counted on your behalf and believe on him with faith that you find forgiveness of your sin in the work that Jesus did. That is what we celebrate at baptism. That was the choice that Izzy made. She chose to receive the work of Jesus on her behalf. That's a choice that I made. That's a choice that many of you have made and that's the choice that I would ask you to consider making today. You see, this isn't given, again, for any level of joy. It's living to say, listen, there is destruction coming, but God has made a way of mistake. His righteous judgment has been enacted. It will either be enacted on those who act in opposition and refuse to receive him, or it will be acted upon his son, which he willingly gave up and went to the cross for us. On the other side of it, it says that those that are going to suffer the, away from the presence of the Lord, 
It says that to be <laughs> absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, that, that those that are with him will be with him for all of eternity. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all those who would believe because our testimony to you was believed. Listen, this is the response of the church. They believed. They believed Jesus was the son of God. They believed his righteous death paid for the penalty of their sin and they put their faith and trust in Jesus and followed him as Lord. That is what they believed. And so Paul then prays for them this. He says, to, that, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the truth that, that, that Paul was, was praying. This is the third thing that we see where this living hope comes from. It's this, is that God will sustain through you through his calling, for his calling. God will sustain you for his calling. See, he's the one who saves and he's the one who sustains. He's the one who calls and he's the one who makes worthy. Notice what Paul says there. To this end, we pray for you, what? That our God may make you worthy of his calling. This is where we get it so backwards and so wrong so quickly. We think that we, upon being called by him, putting our faith and trust in him, is that we need to now make ourselves worthy of that call that our obedience somehow earns us a greater worthiness of him and his grace. And here's the truth of the gospel is that none of us are worthy of his grace. Did you do anything to earn that? Did, did, did you do anything to deserve Christ going to the cross on your behalf? No, not one of us was worthy of that. And yet he did it freely and he offers it freely to us. And then he says that he's going to make us worthy of that calling. Not only has he called you, but he's gonna make you worthy. He's gonna work in your life to, to transform and to uh, change you and to grow you and to mature you. And that's this work that he's doing in the, the, the life of the believers in the church there in Thessalonica. And this is Paul's prayer is that he would do it. And so this is our prayer for one another. This is my prayer for you is that God, would make you worthy of his calling. Not only that, but he would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Listen, you don't make yourself worthy. God does. Amen. And God will fulfill his work in your life. He called you. He is faithful. He will surely do it. Why? Why would he do that? Well, look at verse 12. It tells us, so that... The name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, don't miss this. God being great in power, great in might, being the God over all things is worthy of all of the glory and all of the honor. See, if you and I tried to receive all that, we would be vain. <laughs> we would be selfish. We are not worthy of that. I am flawed. Um, I, my kids and wife uh, can tell you a long list of all the reasons of why and how. Um, and I will confirm that, okay? And, uh, you know, there is plenty of reasons why I am not to be highly praised in these things. You see, God is not like that. God is perfect. He is above all things. He is to, worthy of all praise. And so it is in it is right 
And it is good for him to receive all the praise and all the glory. And so what he is doing, the thing that he is most about is glory for his name. And so he loves to work miracles. He loves to do miraculous works of transformation and change in the life of people. Why? So that his name would be made great, so that people would say and see, who is this God? How would he do that? Who is this? That he would receive all the glory and all the honor and all the worth, that his grace would be seen in the lives of believers. And so this is our story. This is my story. That I was a sinner. I was born a sinner. I was born in sin, chose sin by my own actions. And then through the grace of God, heard about a savior, Jesus, who died on my behalf. And upon placing my faith, my trust in him, that my sin was forgiven and my eternity was changed, no longer destined for away from the presence of the Lord, but with the presence of the Lord. Why? Because of what he did on my behalf. I believed. And now it says that he is working in my behalf to make me worthy of that calling, that he's transforming me day by day, little by little, step by step, that he is working in me, and so he is in you. But it begins with that action, that step of saying, listen, I'm not worthy. I can't do it. I can't earn it. My sin is too great. I need a savior. Jesus is that savior. He is the Lord. That is the way that the church responded. And so he's, he's writing to encourage them and say, listen, listen, in your suffering, God is not absent. There is righteous judgment coming, but he has already enacted his righteous judgment on his son in your behalf. And so trust in him. He's making you worthy. He's working in all of this. He is going to bring about this change. Trust in him. Follow him. Believe in him. He will sustain you for his calling. So I just want to close with this and say this, that we may not be walking through the same persecution, suffering, trials that this church was, but I promise you this, that whatever the sufferings are that you are facing, God is using those to bring about good. Good for you, glory for his name, and he can and will sustain you for his calling. You have but to turn to him, look to him, believe in him, I would say that if you are trying to walk and navigate this life on your own, according to your own values, your own working, your own strength, your own power, I would just say stop. Stop striving. Stop trying. Stop doing it harder. Trust in his accomplished and finished work. You can place your faith, your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior even today that you would know for certain the truth of who God is and what he has done on your behalf. Would we trust in him in this way? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your divine working, um, not just in our world, but God, in our lives. And God, I pray you, uh, that you would continue that work in us. Those of us that have believed, that have followed you, Lord, would you confirm that calling? Would you make us worthy of the calling that you have placed on our life? And God, I pray that you would, um, God, do a righteous work in 
our lives. God, I pray for just an awareness of our own shortcoming, our own need for a Savior. Lord, and if any, if any have not yet responded to that gift of life, that freedom, that forgiveness that is found in you, Lord, I pray that today would be that day. Lord, that we would trust you, that we would look to you to sustain us in the calling. God, that we would recognize who you are, that you are God, that you are above all things. God, that you are a God, not just of justice and righteousness, but you are a God of love. God, you made a way. Your love made a way to appease your righteous judgment on our behalf. God, thank you for that. We believe you. Jesus, we receive your gift of freedom, of forgiveness from our sin. And God, we look to you, the author, sustainer of our faith. God, would you continue that work? Sustain us through the trials. God, sustain us through the affliction. We look to you for that hope and ask that you would do it. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.